This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. This is Knowledge at Wharton, and you're listening to Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Each year, the University of Pennsylvania hosts a competition that allows startups the opportunity to bring their ideas forward with the opportunity of potentially winning cash and prize to help their ideas get off the ground. It's part of a great culture of entrepreneurship here at both the Wharton School and at the University of Pennsylvania. The winner of this year's startup showcase is working on an idea that they hope will be able to save thousands of lives each year. They have come up with a new way for people to be able to test themselves and their blood cell count to make sure that their bodies can fight off infection and other complications. The startup is named Sanguis, and the three men behind it are joining me here in the studio right now, uh, and they are all part of the University of Pennsylvania community. Uh, Devanch Agarwal, Pratik Agarwal, and Daniel Zhang. And it's great to have you all three here. First of all, congratulations to you all on, on winning the competition. Thanks so much, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you both. Uh, thank you all, I should say. Um, so the three of you, from from reading the, a couple of stories about it, you all met, from what I understand, on the first day of medical school, and then this has kind of developed out of this, correct? That's true. So what was what was it that you noticed, uh, Devanch, about these two other gentlemen that you seemingly thought would be potentially you know, good business partners? <laughs> Well, so it never really started out as a relationship that would eventually lead to a business. You know, the three of us were, first of all, just very good friends. And for the first several months of medical school, we would, you know, hang out, discuss, you know, intellectual topics, academic topics, and just life outside in general. And over time, we realized that there's a lot uh, that we share in common, both in terms of, you know, our academic and intellectual vision as well as what we want to do outside of our career as a medical professional. Pretty? Yeah, and I would say that Dan and I actually had a funny story where he contacted me and we I also reached out to him in terms of roommate housing for the <laughs> medical school. And so we happened to be roommates actually on day one of medical school. And Divyansh I actually knew through a mutual friend from undergraduate education um, when I was in Boston. And so I reached out to Divyansh that way, and the three of us uh, happened to be friends first and foremost, like uh, Dan, uh, like Divyansh said. And I think what struck me about both of them is that um, they really have a, a passion to do something in life, and, and they have a passion to drive forward. And that's something that uh, is really admirable, and I think that brings us together in terms of a team. Dan? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the funniest things I think I have to say is we spent a lot of time in the uh, student lounge at the medical school playing a lot of ping pong when we really should have been (laughs) studying. Um, But that was sort of where we first started talking about all these different things, our experiences before coming to med school, some of our interests, what we wanted to do, um, both within the scope of the curriculum, but also things that we wanted to do maybe outside of that. And it sort of became clear over a period of time that we've all had certain uh, personal and sometimes, you know, uh, academic and professional encounters with uh, cancer treatment, chemotherapy, and some of the uh, consequences of that. And as we, uh, you know, as our friendship uh, continued and, and we kept talking about these things over and over again, um, it sort of became uh, something that we thought about, well, maybe we can do something about this, right? And, and it's interesting part, Pratik, because we've talked with other members of the Penn medical community and other hospital systems as well. And there is 
this growing want by people in the medical profession to kind of look outside of just being the traditional doctor these days. They want to be able to try and improve healthcare outcomes. They want to be able to try and bring technology forward. And that's seemingly, I guess, kind of the path that, that the three of you are, are looking to follow as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of the reason for that is that you can certainly make an impact on an individual patient by patient basis when you're in the hospital. But you can take that experience that you have from those clinical encounters with individual patients and bring that to something more broad-based and bigger outside of one patient or several patients to something that is, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of patients that could potentially benefit from you weighing in on something that lends itself to having your clinical expertise from individual patient interactions. So then, Devanch, take us through the the process of of how... You came up with the idea in terms of where you want to go and, the, and obviously the competition that you, uh, that you were presenting in front of a panel of experts. Well, so in terms of how the idea came about, it, uh, as far as I can remember, I think came about in Dan's room. You know, the three of us were watching a TV series called Silicon Valley, which is also about entrepreneurship and, you know, a group of friends who are working on a startup. And the three of us, you know, just being good friends, uh, follow the show very closely. And so, you know, one evening when we were watching the show, after one of the episodes ended, we said, you know, this is this doesn't seem that hard. Why yeah. don't we try to, you know, put a company together and build this device? And so we said, OK, uh, what do we need to you know, actually make this company? And so Pratik said, okay, you definitely need somebody who is good with marketing and management. And since I'm getting the MBA, that has to be me. So you guys figure out, you know, what else is left on the team. And so we needed somebody to actually make this device. And everybody turned to Dan because Dan went to MIT. And whenever we tell people that Dan went to MIT, the assumption is that, okay, Dan is the real engineer. (laughs) (laughs) There's no other way to sell it. And so then that left me and, you know, uh, that brought us back to sort of one of uh, the core philosophies we've had, uh, you know, a mentor of ours shared with us, which is that for any project to be successful, you need three R's. You know, you need rigor, relevance and relationships. And so rigor was taken by Dan. Prati claimed his take on relevance and that left relationships. So I said, okay, you know, I will take care of that aspect. And I think that's how uh, the company really came together. So has it been an easy process, Dan? Yeah. Uh, you know, in some ways, sure, it's been a tremendously enjoyable journey because of sort of our existing relationship. It's really fun to work with these guys. We, yeah. you know, have as much fun as we do work, um, which, you know, uh, sometimes is a good thing, but sometimes we really do need to knuckle down. Um, but we have encountered a number of challenges. You know, certainly we're doing this outside of our normal curricular um, obligations. Um, and so, you know, recently we traveled uh, to Texas for um, for for an event and, you know, this was the, the day, the day of actually that Pratik took one of his uh, medical board exams. So he took this grueling eight hour exam. And then while everybody else went out to celebrate, he rushed himself um, to the Philadelphia airport, landed in Texas at about maybe one in the morning. And we had to drive for maybe two or three hours to get to where we were going. And so certainly, you know, juggling everything we are doing um, academically with what we would like to do with this company has been a challenge. Uh, from the medical perspective of this, uh, the idea that, that you were bringing forward, obviously uh, you mentioned about how chemotherapy patients that, that you deal with uh, can be impacted. And the area of focus, I guess, is neutrophils. Am I have that correct? Uh, and the ability to be able to fight off infections at, at, at various points, correct? 
would like to take that. Right. So neutrophils are key infection-fighting cells in our body. And one of the major side effects of chemotherapy treatment is that uh, the chemotherapy regimen depletes our body of these infection-fighting cells. And so that leaves the patients vulnerable to serious life-threatening infections. And, you know, both personally and professionally, we encountered people who during the course of their, you know, emotionally and just physically draining chemotherapy regimen also then had to tackle and deal with these extra complications where they developed an infection on top of their weakened immune system. And this was something where we saw a window of opportunity where we could intervene because once you are able to detect the risk of infection early on, there are prophylactic medications which could act as definitive treatment options. And there are, uh, some of the numbers that I've seen, uh, many people that end up being impacted by this over the course of a year, upwards of what, about 500,000 people, correct? Yeah, so the you know the majority of patients receiving chemotherapy will experience a drop in their levels of neutrophils. You know, fortunately for many of these, uh, this drop is short lived, and they manage to recover without incident. Um, the big problem is those that either don't recover or develop an infection during this sort of danger period. The problem is is that we don't know who these patients are going to be. Every patient right. is at risk, and so our goal is to uh, to provide a uh, monitoring device that every patient can take home and monitor themselves. Because, you know, it's impossible to predict who these patients are going to be. And so I guess that from the technology side of it, that's a, a, in this day and age where we see more aspects of, of medical innovation coming through apps, to be able to have a monitor where people can do this by themselves makes it that much easier for them. Yeah, absolutely. And right now, the only way to do that monitoring is either in the hospital or a clinic to which the patient has to go to with their chemotherapy regimen. But with this, they could monitor in the privacy of their own home, you know, in their bathroom, in their car. They could do it really whenever they want and, and where they want to. And in terms of the magnitude of this, as you mentioned, you know, upwards of 500,000 patients are receiving chemotherapy every year in just the United States alone. And we estimate that upwards of 15,000 deaths could be prevented as a result of monitoring patients in this way. So this monitor basically looks like what? It's basically like an iPhone that, you know, maybe is slightly thicker. And all you would do is insert a, a chip, a microfluidic chip into this device. And with the press of a button, you would be able to have a neutrophil count at your disposal. And, and so then... I guess the other part to it is the people themselves gaining this information, but then I guess being able to relay that information to the doctors who they would be dealing with at their particular hospital, correct? Right. So once the patients have their neutrophil count information, then they can contact their local physician and they can together develop a plan for how to manage the care better. That's the uh, idea here. Dan? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing I, we feel like would be really helpful here is that, you know, if you're not feeling well, you know, contacts matters a lot. If your immune system is, you know, uh, uh, weakened and you're not feeling well, that's something that the doctors want to know about. Um, but if, let's say, your neutrophil count is normal, you're, you're doing great, then maybe the reason why you're feeling fatigued and, and tired is, isn't due to necessarily infection, but one of the other known side effects of chemotherapy. So where are you guys now in terms of the build-out of the company and bringing this technology forward? Yeah, so we are currently putting finishing touches on a prototype, and we anticipate, you know, hopefully entering market within the next couple of years. And so that is why winning the startup challenge was really enormous for us because the award money would really take us long ways in terms of really testing this device on clinical samples. 
and establishing a clinical sort of uh, precedent for this to you know eventually make its way to a patient's hand. Pratik? Yeah, and I would I would add that the Wharton Startup Challenge has also been enormously helpful in terms of allowing us to make contacts with potential investors or potential experts in regulatory fields or reimbursement fields who we can reach out to and gain insights from. Uh, we've received a flurry of emails in the last week or so from such experts or such potential investment opportunities that will be enormously helpful to us launching our product and actually getting it into the hands of patients. So how will the testing actually, or I guess where will the testing actually take place? I, I would guess we, you would be working potentially with the University of Pennsylvania Hospital and and uh, and other uh, institutions to be able to to bring that type of testing forward. Right. So, you know, interestingly, uh, it is at this moment a little unlikely that we will be working uh, directly with the University of Pennsylvania to begin with. But we have contacted other universities. You know, one local example is Thomas Jefferson, where we've reached out to a couple of uh, physicians and, you know, are in talks with them about how to best pilot this. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons we are not piloting this at the University of Pennsylvania is because initially when we were developing this device, we had to spend months trying to obtain a waiver from the university, saying that the university waives its right uh, and intent, uh, any intentions of claiming uh, rights on our invention, because this was something that was developed by us independently and without using any university resources. And we'd like uh, for it to stay that way so that, you know, things don't get complicated. So the the process, I guess, is, uh, playing off of what Devon said is it would probably be at least a year or two to be able to do enough testing to potentially then be able to go get the regulatory approval to have this, this device on the market, correct? Correct. So, you know, the goal is to really put the final touches on our prototype so that we can take it to the clinic and use it on patient samples. And we anticipate that in an ideal situation, by the end of next year, we'd be able to complete some preliminary clinical testing in the sense that the clinical testing for such a device is actually fairly simple. You take a patient sample population, you test our device with them, and then you compare it to the traditional CBC that already exists in the hospital. And that process for a clinical trial is actually much simpler than many other devices that are out there on the market or that are out there in clinical testing. I mean, you're talking about trying to reach a a, a large number of people. And, And in this day and age, you know, it seems like at times, Daniel, that this type of mindset, looking at technology to be able to bring forth a a cure of some kind or to be able to deal with a particular uh, a particular disease, even though it's kind of moving one at a time, the numbers of people that are affected by this, as we said, you know, upwards of, of 15,000 or so lives that could be saved, that's a that's a significant savings for for uh, families across the U.S. and yeah. the world as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things we found, um, especially when we start talking to patients in in all the market research that we've performed, is that, you know, patients really like the idea of being able to take a more active role in their treatment, right? Instead of sort of um, being nervous, not not knowing what their tests are going to be when they do come in for their tests once every however many weeks, they have their own tests they can do at home and they have their own numbers. They can monitor for themselves. They can see exactly how their body is responding to the chemotherapy. And that uh, factor really plays a big deal into having lots of people sort of uh, being able to adopt this kind of technology we hope to bring. And the fact that, that people are willing to be able to to do this testing and be able to try and understand to a degree what the results of these monitors, uh, uh, of these results actually mean. 
Right, absolutely. You know, um, one of the nice things uh, about where we are today is that there are a number of these home monitors already on the market. You know, the glucometer's been around for a yeah. long time recently. The INR monitor is coming out. And so, you know, the idea of home monitoring is becoming more and more common. Just about everybody we've spoken to either themselves or knows somebody who uses a glucometer or INR monitoring. And so um, sort of this sort of cultural uh, attitude is, is, is really favorable for us being able to enter. Pranj? Yeah, I completely agree. You know, and all the people we've spoken to, patients, physicians, and just healthcare professionals alike, they've all been overwhelmingly supportive of the fact that a home monitor, in this case, is going to be extremely helpful because, you know, one of the key features of our device is that a patient or a physician is not necessarily making a life-saving or life-altering decision necessarily. Right. Right? This is a screening device. And all it is allowing the patient to do is to you know, get prophylactic treatment if that is applicable in his or her case. So it really changes the way patients can be managed if they are at risk. But in and of itself, it is not giving you a definitive diagnosis. Right. How much uh, how, then with the data that will be collected by each person that would be using this this device, uh, that information is relayed to their physician. I mean, how much is that considered to be the in terms of the testing kind of the gold standard for what that data is actually going to mean? Or would there be further testing in terms of the cell count and such when a person would come back into the hospital? Yeah, so when a person would come back to the hospital, we expect that, you know, per the current standard of care, the patient would get a complete blood cell count. Right. So that would include not just checking the neutrophil levels, but all, you know, cell count levels. So your other types of white blood cells, platelets, red blood cells. But again, to go ahead. No, I was gonna say, and I think that goes along with what Divyanch was saying, that it's not necessarily a diagnostic test meant to replace the CBC. What it's meant to do is to raise concern that this person is at risk, yeah. more so than you would know if they just had a fever or if they just had no symptoms at all. And to say that because this person's at risk, we can do something about it. And had we not had this monitor before, then we wouldn't be able to. And now they can come into the hospital or they can talk to their physician, potentially get a definitive cell uh, CBC to see what their neutrophil count is based on that gold standard and pursue potential prophylactic treatment. Speed of diagnosis, correct? Exactly. It's, it's identifying those who are at risk and then being able to act on it. We are joined here in the studio by Divyanch Agarwal, uh, Pratik Agarwal, and uh, Daniel Zhang. Uh, they are all uh, med students here at the University of Pennsylvania, and they are all uh, behind this company called uh, Sanguis that is uh, bringing forth uh, a way to be able to uh, monitor blood cell count uh, so that hopefully people will be able to fight off infections in a more, uh, in a more positive manner. I, I guess th the next question is, you still have a lot of work to do on this. But have you already started to think of ways that you can work off of this to be able to look at other areas that, that may be of interest to you personally? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what's unique about our technology is that we can measure blood cell counts on our microfluidic platform very sort of inexpensively and very rapidly. And that really opens up the door in terms of the areas where we can apply this technology. So certainly neutrophils is a, a very important place to start. Um, but there are lots of other places we can go. For example, um, patients with HIV need to monitor their CD4 T cells, um, you know, to make sure that their treatment is adequate and they're not developing resistance and so forth. Here at the University of Pennsylvania, um, you know, we've had tremendous success with our uh, innovative CAR T cell therapy. And, you know, again, we're 
you know, physicians may want to sort of monitor levels of these cells in these patients. And our, plat- our technology is a platform that allows uh, patients and physicians to do that very easily. I read in a couple of the articles about you all winning the competition that not only uh, do you see the benefits for this here in the United States, but in other parts of the world as well, which may not have the, the, uh, the health options that a lot of people here in the United States may have. Right. So, you know, this winter I was in India and I spoke with a couple of my colleagues who are, you know, either currently undergoing medical training or have just finished medical training. And through conversations with them, we realized that several diseases such as tuberculosis or dengue fever, which, uh, you know, affect large parts of, you know, these low resource settings also actually deplete neutrophil counts. And so our device could be potentially extremely useful in those settings. Yeah, I agree. And there are also a host of drugs that are not specific to chemotherapy regimens or to cancer that patients use around the world that also deplete neutrophil counts. And and those patients who are receiving those drugs worldwide, this device could be used to monitor their neutrophil counts. So then even though, go ahead. Yeah, in fact, you know, I was just going to say that the World Health Organization has a list of such medications. And on this list of essential medications, there are actually 137 drugs which uh, would benefit from regular neutrophil testing. And so our device could be used to monitor neutrophil counts for those 137 drugs on WHO's essential medicines list. So again, the the numbers that I mentioned earlier with the numbers of people taking chemotherapy and obviously the number of people that lose their lives, that's obviously data. But when you think about the potential globally, it, the, these numbers could be significantly larger, correct? Right, yeah. I mean, the the realm of possibilities is huge. Yeah, and I would agree. I think it's definitely in in the billions of patients that could potentially benefit from such a device. Um, you know, it, it 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 certainly is not only impactful in that measure, but also in terms of a healthcare cost measure. In the U.S. alone, it could be greater than two billion dollars in, in excess healthcare cost savings. And when you extrapolate that to worldwide, it, it just becomes enormous. You mentioned in terms of the competition being able to meet with. Uh, people that are on the business side and obviously would be able to potentially help. How important is a competition like this for yourselves as a startup? And obviously there were a variety of other startups that are uh, winning other prizes, going to be doing great things as well. To be able to be in a competition like this, but also to be able to have those connections so that you can bring this idea forward and get it to market at some point. Yeah, it's a team effort. And I think we are the co-founders, but a competition like this gives you visibility and it gives you the ability to talk to numerous people and various business experts and various business aspects of the company um, that we didn't otherwise have before. And I think that that's enormously helpful to getting the device into the hands of the patient, which is ultimately what what we want to do. And that doesn't require just the three of us. It requires advisors. It requires experts, it requires people who are willing uh, to take this journey with us. Dan? Yeah, you know, competitions, especially this Wharton competition, is is more than just, you know, an outcome winning or not winning. It's a process, right? We go through several rounds, we get a lot of feedback. And in fact, when we were right about to walk on stage to give our final pitch, we were, you know, really reflecting on how um, the things that we, you know, the, our, our business plan, our marketing plan, everything that we're, you know, planning to do now, it's really actually an amalgam of all the different bits and pieces of advice and feedback we've gotten along the way. 
And, you know, certainly the Warren competition was no different. We've uh, gained so much from speaking with the judges, the people who have attended the events, all the different um, mentors we've had during this process. And certainly their uh, feedback has helped us grow tremendously. But again, to a degree, it goes back to something we said at the outset here, is that uh, each one of you have kind of brought something to this idea whether it be on the medical side, marketing, whatever it might be, to be able to try and bring this bring this full forward and, and get this to market at some point. Right, yeah. I mean, you know, I think this is one of the cases where every drop contributes to the ocean. And uh, that's, I think, for us, this Wharton Startup Challenge was the biggest competition we've won, uh, both in terms of its prestige as well as the monetary award that comes with it, and also in terms of the people we've interacted and met with. Uh, that said, you know, this is not the first competition we won. You know, luckily, yeah. uh, in just the past month, we were fortunate to win the Penvention competition, which is organized by the School of Engineering here at Penn, as well as the Penn Health X Pitch Night, which is organized by the medical school. So just within the past month, we've been extremely fortunate to be connected with many people who, you know, it seems like are all extremely supportive and just excited by the potential that this idea can, you know, contribute and change the lives of patients for good. Extremely busy. And you've got medical school. Do you guys able to take a breath at any point? I mean, you may need to get another game of ping pong going here, Daniel. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about that. That's, you know. (laughs) (laughs) so, So who's the ping pong champion among you three? Uh, I think it's definitely me. <laughs> okay. At least that's what he likes to think about. Oh, okay. That's it. Uh, hey, uh, all the best to you guys uh, with this, and we look forward to hearing more about it. Thank you all for coming in. Thank you Thanks so, much. so much. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.